This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. Puppets of Andre Toulon. First, they made you smile. And then, they made you die. Blade. Pinhead. Jester. Leech Woman. And Tunneler. Now, the show has begun again. And this time, their master is back. From beyond the grave. You brought me back. And Andre Toulon is proud to present the newest addition to his terrifying troupe. You may think you've got the powers of hell on your side. Torch. They thought they could unlock Toulon's secrets. It's amazing. But what these researchers have opened, no one can escape. We're all in danger as long as we remain in this house is a Pandora's box of death. Our work must be completed tonight. Puppet Master 2. His unholy creations hold the strings to your life. I know how to get into things. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Howling at the Full Moon here in Cinema Degeneration. It's an all-full moon in Charlie Band podcast, but if you're here listening, you already know that. And uh, we got a quite a franchise spectacular for you this evening. We're going to be covering Puppet Master 2 from 1990. 
part of the 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 the, the height of the Paramount era, I guess you could say. And joining me once again is my usual cohort in crime, Dustin Hubbard. How the hell are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty fantastic. And we we had a couple false starts on recording this show, but we managed to get our uh, our schedules in sync, huh? It took a, it took a bit, but we got there. <laughs> well, we got a few of these in the can, but I always like uh, you know having a few, like I said, on deck ready to go. But yeah, this is uh, our well, our, technically our third Puppet Master film that we've done because we did do one out of sequence. Since it doesn't really, it's not part of the the canon, as you like to say. We did record Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys, which is to me. It, it, it's it still counts, but like not really, you know, just sort of on paper it does. I, th- I think what we said maybe even in that show was it's it's puppet master, but it's sort of puppet master adjacent. It doesn't really fall into a specific point or continuity with anything, so it can kind of exist on its own. But you know, <laughs> a lot of them can sort of exist on their own anyway. So <laughs> right, right kind of a pick and choose almost like choose your own adventure type franchise where pretty much like anything can happen and anything goes yeah yeah with the well that's this franchise to a t you know some things are linked very well and some things are linked so loosely that you know held together with a rubber band (laughs) but yeah puppet master 2 directed by the late great david allen written by uh charles band david fabian and David Schmoller, well, based on characters by. And uh, this is a direct sequel. Um, came out the year after the original Puppet Master. I think what the original, without cheating and looking, came out in 89. This came out directly a year later. Yep. And uh, it is a direct sequel because they do talk a, a bit here and there about Alex Whitaker and his eventual fate of things. Uh, things did not end up working out too well for him, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, do things end up working out very well for any of the human, you know, protagonists in these movies? No. Never. (laughs) But let me go ahead and get started with the uh, quick IMDb synopsis and we'll get into this one. All right. Puppet Master 2 from 1990 is as follows. The puppets return and hunt paranormal researchers in an attempt to take their brain fluid for their master, Andre Toulon. And that's yeah, that's that, that's pretty fair. I mean, I feel like that's very vague. <laughs> There's a little bit more to it than that, but yeah, that that that, yeah. Ma- that makes sense. Yeah, it it, it fits. <laughs> yeah, but this would star uh, like okay. First, I got to mention this does not star George Buck Flowers, but it has George Buck Flowers, and that's really all you need to know. He's in it very little, but like even in a little bit, you know, it's George Buck fucking Flowers, man. It it. it you know, how do you get cooler than that? But you got uh, Elizabeth McEllen, who was, this would be her last uh, film, if I remember correctly, again, without cheating and looking. Um, I believe it was the last thing she ever worked on, her second full moon movie after Crash and Burn, but I believe her last film in general. And s- something curious to note, years ago, you know, when I was first, ex- you know, learning and experiencing the magic of what IMDb is, uh, there was a period where Elizabeth McClellan was listed as being deceased on IMDb. Oh, really? She was listed as being deceased from a brain tumor. Uh, but all that information is gone. 
So I'm going to uh, hope and presume that it was misinformation that she is still alive and well somewhere enjoying a retirement. <laughs> yep, so. yep. Hopefully she's somewhere enjoying a good life. Mm-hmm. You know, some somewhere on that 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 beach with that beach hotel where they <laughs> they, they use. Okay, that, that's that's something I got to mention here. We're gonna go a little bit out of uh, sequence here. This movie should say it doesn't star her or it doesn't star Georgia Buck Flowers or the, or the great Charlie Spradling, you know, who was like the, the full moon ambassador for so many years. This is say it stars that that beach shot of that mat shot of the hotel. Yes. They, they use it. They reuse it like three in three different shots in this movie. But like it's such an epic shot. I, mean, I put it in my notes at least twice. Totally. It's what they it's what they call the the floating miniature, where they have the miniature version of what the hotel looks like, and they take that and use some forced perspective and actually position it in front of the coastline and create the fake <laughs> visual yeah. of there being a real property along the water, but it's so not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little shaky. It's a great shot though. Oh yeah, it's a magnificent, magnificent shot. And if I remember right from the trivia, didn't they paint that on a refrigerator door, uh, or something like that? Or I, I, I swear I remember it as such. I might be wrong. Nothing would surprise me. I know that genuinely this location does not exist, though. And I remember even at one point, you probably heard this too. At one point, Charles Band has told the story numerous times about how he met a fan at an event one time, and they said that you know they had been to. The Bodega Bay Inn, and she was like, "Yeah, but that's not a real place." You know, it was what we call a hanging miniature. And they're like, "No, no, I was there." And they showed him a picture of themselves in front of the hotel, <laughs> like huh. in that area. And he was very uh, confused, so because the hotel doesn't exist, so it never has. So I know that would be weird. I'd be like, "Um, nope, you you couldn't have been there." Place does not exist at all. Guy from a parallel dimension where the Bodega Bay Inn actually exists. Now that's a movie I want to see. (laughs) (laughs) Bodega Bay, which is also obviously the place where uh, the birds took place. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, would later be the home of Full Moon's newer kind of modern day uh, ditzy duo, Barbie and Kendra. Are from the Bodega Bay trailer park. Don't doesn't Bodega Bay make a, an appearance or make a, get a reference in Raven Wolf Towers? Or am I mistaken? Uh, it's very possible. I don't remember it, but there are a lot of references in that, so it's possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, it, it's full moon, so it's all connected. Yeah, yep. on, on a technical level. <clears throat> But I do love the way this movie opens out, uh, opens up with uh, the creepy cemetery shots with the resurrected Toulon. And once again, one of my favorite puppets, uh, Pinhead, is doing most of the heavy lifting as per the usual. He's because he's the muscle. <laughs> you know, I just think it's funny whenever they got some heavy lifting or a body to move or something to be moved that's heavy. They're just like, get the guy with the big hands. I, I have to point out, like, it's funny to watching that sequence and seeing, like, the other tombstones with names like uh, Zeke Kern. <laughs> and <laughs> I want to say there was some something Acosta or something. 
and I'm always like thinking like who are they where like, I want to know where those names came from I don't know uh, as I usually say they were wrote in the script yep. but yeah <laughs> but when you got when they resurrect them, though, when you see the the arms reach up and all that, oh yeah, it's great. It lets you know exactly what you're in for. You know, you're in. It's it's just pretty much like a gothic horror romance. Is yes. what this and, movie is. And you know, I have to note too, just as being the the nerdy full moon historian type, you know what that sequence would later be cannibalized into. Mm, don't know. Don't know. It would end up being the company logo opening for Full Moon's future sister label, Film Monsters, which was going to be children's themed remakes of classic universal type monsters. So you have that sequence of them going through the cemetery, but all the headstones actually have the names of classic monsters on them. And like Dracula and Frankenstein's monster, Invisible Man. Oh, Jekyll. that's cool. Got it. And they use that as the opening to the film Monsters brand, which only lasted for two films, Frankenstein Reborn and Werewolf Reborn, before it was uh, had the kibosh put on it. But they were in development for Mummy Returns and Dracula Returns. See, I've seen the Frankenstein one. I've not seen the werewolf one. Yeah, but they uh they're both they're both really good. They're they're short films. They're basically each about 45 minute films. One directed by Dakota and one directed by Jeff Burr. Uh, but they're both really good. I'm going to see the other one out here soon. So, never never been released to DVD though or uh, Blu-ray. So they're just on they're just on full moon streaming, I guess streaming and they came out individually on vhs in america i i believe they might have been released in other other territories on like a double feature but yeah Yeah, i'm gonna say we get shafted (laughs) (laughs) uh i do love when we get the intro of the the group of paranormal investigators now (laughs) i I gotta, I gotta say, they, they they introduce them real quick. They don't even get any names for any of these characters, like right off the bat. You know, you don't get. It's it's it, it's just like okay, another group of paranormal investigators trying to get into the hotel has been condemned. But I do love when Wanda, played by the lovely uh, Charlie Spradling, comes in and she's just like rolling her eyes at the place, and she's like, "Oh yes, sheets on the furniture and a cozy cemetery in the backyard," and this is like. <laughs> was there ever a mention of a cemetery ever again on the grounds i don't think no. they ever mentioned that i think that was just a plot device used for this film that's yeah that's something that only existed in this film so that would be something interesting to go back to at some point uh but yeah it was never never seen or mentioned again after part two yeah it, it was there was two things that that moment and there's another moment that comes at the very end that i want to mention that they never came back to at least i don't think they did so i'll i'll, I'll save that for the end it's, there's a, one of my few minor gripes about this movie because this movie i know you we we had talked previously off the air you said you kind of had a little bit of uh because we could describe it as franchise fatigue you know with, with these films you know they're not ones that you tend to go back to often and 
I don't tend to go back to a lot of the Puppet Masters because I've seen most of them so many times. You know, there's a few in the middle, like Curse and Retro, that like I have seen maybe once or twice. But like this one, it's got some extreme rewatchability. It's it's very theatrical looking. This could have easily have been released in theaters and not just straight to video. I think. Yeah, these these movies, especially for this time period, they were very high end quality productions, you know. And um, I mean, I, I guess it kind of, people tend to forget. I guess maybe at least younger audiences forget nowadays that you know back then when you were making movies and stuff like this, like you were still shooting on film. Like these movies mm-hmm. were shot five millimeter film, you know. Uh, it's not like the early 2000s period where we were getting like movies shot on mini DV and that kind of stuff, you know? So right, these, right. These were theatrically designed productions, you know? So they were being made for Paramount, you know? So they, they were made to look good. And, you know, and being this one being held by David Allen, it just, it shows the, the, the stop motion animation is probably never really looked better. This between this one and maybe part three. Yeah, there's this one has some of the most iconic moments of stop motion animation from the entire franchise, honestly. Uh, and some of the best looking ones too. Oh yeah, there's especially that shot, the I think it's iconic as fuck when they they have Blade chasing down Wanda's character, and the they, camera's moving with him. It's so good. Amazing shot, too, because he literally leaps off the bed and comes at her, which is, you don't see motion like that ever <laughs> from from these types of characters. So Especially that, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the, honestly, I think a lot of the, the one who stands out the most to me as far as I being one that i think that his articulation and his motion looks really good is is i think torch looks and moves really well and believable in this because he feels like you know like a you know big little hulking dude who you know you should be afraid of he feels real yeah and uh, he's quickly becomes my well he Blade is always my favorite. I, I, I'm, I'm a basic bitch that way. Blade is my favorite. I, I'm, go, I'm going with that one. That but is, like torches, very basic bitch answer. I will agree. <laughs> but but, but torches that's a, is my fa- my second favorite. Torch is my absolute favorite puppet of all of them. Uh, I love Torch, and truthfully, before Torch, my actually my favorite puppet was always Tunnler. They they kind of do Tunneler dirty in this movie though. They do. He's he's actually very much uh, made into a bitch in this one. But <laughs> he kills one person, then he gets stomped to death and and busted up with a lamp. I mean, <laughs> he does. It's a very rare case of this this specific installment. A very rare case of us actually seeing puppets get killed. They killed a couple of them. I mean, we're going to ruin this for you, folks. So I hope you're not not uh, not that you're not like not expecting spoilers because we're going to give them to you here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they kill. I mean, they kill. To, to, they kill not Torch. They kill Tunneler, and they mm-hmm. kill Leech Woman too. Which, which I'm sure most any any fan worth their worth waiting, uh, you know, 
their fandom knows that, you know, the reason why Leech Woman is killed is pretty much because the execs at Paramount didn't like her. They thought she was disgusting. And that was actually a, a prime directive from the higher ups at Paramount. They straight up told Charlie, they're like, get rid of her, kill her. We don't like her. So that's huh. that he's killed. So <laughs> like I knew that I knew that it came from down from from up above, you know, from the, the higher ups, but I didn't know why. I just thought it was just a matter of that. It's like, eh, they don't think she fits. So they just. They were not fond of her, which is funny because then come part three, they make her a very significant aspect of the lore <laughs> and the mythology, which is funny too, because then when you go back to part two and look at the way things are handled story wise in this one, it, they kind of two and three kind of negate each other with the leech woman uh, plot aspects. So. Well, there's a lot of these sequels. That's just why sometimes when I get like about five, six episodes or, or you know movies in, I start getting confused, like which <laughs> you know what I mean. It's just like mm, it's it's it's. it's a, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but it's a little convoluted, and by little, I mean a lot. There's a lot of inconsistencies. The funniest one to me is you know having said Torch is my favorite puppet, you know. Uh, in the full moon canon, Torch only ever appeared twice, two and five. <laughs> uh, oh, was it? I, I thought he was in four and five. He's just in five, huh? So that, see, um, that's what I'm. That's what I'm going to make note of. He did those two, and then Cinestate brought him back in a revamped version for Littlest Reich. He has never appeared in a full moon movie since. There was promise of him maybe having been an axis termination which wouldn't have really made sense timeline timeline wise but uh he ended up not being in it so yes he's in puppet master five but when you watch if you watch four and five back to back he's on the cover of the of the vhs and dvd for part four he's in the artwork where all the puppets are surrounding sutek but he's not in the movie he's never pulled out of the trunk by rick he doesn't exist. Then when you watch part five and Rick's like got the puppets looking for the guys who the guys who've broken into, you know, the, the Bodega Bay to try and find the puppets for Jennings, the evil dude working for the company Rick works for. Uh, he Rick runs into Torch and he's like, hey, Torch, did you find him? And just like, Rah, you know, makes his noise. You know, but it's like he knows him. <laughs> And and now he, but he he's not present in part four. He doesn't exist. So I don't understand what. I'm sure things have been said <laughs> to explain that, but there's there's no logic as to why that is the situation because he's he is not in part four. He only appears in part five. I just wonder if it was something else that was like handed down from Paramount that. You know what you said. They, yeah, you know, they wanted to get rid of the leech woman puppet. I wonder if they were just like, no, nah, we don't like this one either. Maybe. And you know, I think uh, an important thing to note nowadays too is, is obviously budgets and production value and stuff isn't quite the same. You know, you get those fans. I could name you names of people, and you know who some of them are. Like, oh yeah. Really? Wow, wow. Paramount era. What? You know, this new stuff isn't as good as. Back when Paramount was, yeah, of course it's not as good as when Paramount was funding them because the budgets are aren't the same. We're thirty years later; that deal's over with. You're lucky the company still exists and they're still making new content. Yeah, and and we've had some high highs and we've had some low lows. You know, the lowest of lows being 
the legacy with this. But <sighs> see, I'm you, like, you, with a franchise this big. I mean, we got got to mention it. There's 15 movies, including you know the non-canon Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys, the Littlest Reich, and the two standalone spinoffs, which was Blade, the Iron Cross, and Doctor Death. So there's 15 movies. You're going to have some some highs and lows. It's just going to happen. Yes. And it's, the people that are saying that there's cheap these days, well, I mean, like we're lucky we, that something like Full Moon is even still around. To be quite honest, I mean, like you know that they were managed to survive over the years for decades is. Uh, and you know, with with those shrinking budgets, I'll tell you, I'll I'll just make an educated guess. I'm not saying this based on any knowledge. You know why we probably don't get torch anymore? Oh, because it. it budgetary <laughs> all extremely budgetary yeah it's a budgetary thing it's the same reason as why you got truncated versions of six shooter in some of the later access movies because he is too difficult to operate you know just back in the paramount era when there was money any one of these puppets took numerous people to operate one doll okay six shooter has eight limbs and a head that all have to be operated that that requires like more people to probably run him than i have actors and crew on one of my own films <laughs> oh yeah well, i was saying one of mine too without a doubt so then you look at torch torch blows fire out of his hand so unless you, and you, i know charles band doesn't like cgi I don't like CGI. You know what some of the worst looking CGI is when you use it for elemental aspects. Computer animated fire looks like shit. Computer oh, animated yeah. or water, any any of that kind of stuff always looks false and not real. Computer animated fire looks terrible. So what's your option? Just use real fire. Okay. Use so real fire you, or don't do it. Well, and if you use real fire, what do you have to do? You have, you have, have to have the yeah. Do you have to have a fucking like a fire marshal on set monitoring things? It gets very costly and it just doesn't really make any sense, unfortunately. So I, I don't know. Really and it's dangerous. It's, I mean, let's not you know fail to mention that it's dangerous. Yep. And I mean that's why you have to have a fire marshal on hand too, just just in case there's a, a some kind of slip up and something bad happens. You need like a paid professional that can handle those situations because you know the director and a bunch of you know producer dudes counting pennies aren't gonna you know be your first guys of you know your first line of defense to try and stop a, a fire outbreak so yeah you know, we'll, 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 we'll a random first. temp with a bad attitude and a fire extinguisher is not who you want putting out somebody that's doing a full body burn exactly so and speaking of full body burns we got two of them in this movie and they're both extremely impressive extremely impressive but yeah 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 um getting back to the to the story i like what we get um they sh well, they all get freaked out over the broken vase but you know you kind of would be over stuff like that this when you get that there are a group of uh i'm using the term here loosely and using air quotes that you can't see our paranormal investigators because we never quite you know, figure out who anybody really is, you know, or what they do. You know, you got, yeah, you, you know, you're not really familiar with any of their skill sets. Whereas, yes. in like, they literally, Alex Whitaker goes down the line and he says, This person does this, this person does this, this person can do this. 
I do this. Like, they don't do any of that in this. They're just like, we're here to investigate. <laughs> and that's just yeah. sort of it. They just set up some cameras and basically video surveillance the place. They aren't doing anything else as far as, like, being psychic or or being able to, you know, like, detect paranormal activity. They're not really doing anything. Right, they're just setting up surveillance cameras and just they're, they're, waiting to catch a glimpse. Yeah, they're literally a surveillance team. That's it. <laughs> like, the only one who, who seems to be, to have, like, a clairvoyant or psychic ability is Camille. So. Well, Camille is pretty much like this movie's uh, version of, um, oh, well, what's, what's, what's her name from uh, the first movie? Dana? Dana, the White Witch. Yeah, the White <laughs> Witch. She's basically a, a slightly less assholey version of Dana for, from yeah, the first movie. She's, she's a less cunty, like, sort of old lady version of her. <laughs> <laughs> And that, she would be played by Nina or Nita Talbot, which I, I, I love her. I think she she's not in the movie enough. She needs to be in the movie more. Nita Talbot's a great character actress who's done so much. She's done so much work. I mean, she's done loads of television over the years. She doesn't really act anymore. Uh, and I, I believe she is still alive, um, but she hasn't really worked in a good number of years. But, man, she... She was always she was always top notch and everything. And it's funny because my two favorite Nita Talbot movies are this and the very uh, full moon centric installment of Amityville, Amityville nineteen ninety two. It's about time. Oh, where, she did, she was in that, wasn't she? Yeah, both of which where she basically plays a psychic old lady. <laughs> Being typecast, but hey, if it pays the bills, fuck it. <laughs> But yeah, this it, it, it does have that that, that kind of that that uh, weird kind of aesthetic where they're introducing another group of paranormal investigators. But again, we get none of their backstory, not not really any information about what they do, other than they can set up some means, closed circuit TV, camp monitors, and it, it's weird because they're far less compelling characters than Part One's group of psychics. Yeah, but they're more likable to a degree because they feel like real people you would just kind of bump into, if that makes sense. They seem a lot more like, yeah, they do seem like more like real they people. They, like, they seem legit. They seem like everyday people, whereas, you know, Alex Whitaker is not like an everyday dude, like nor is Dana, you know, or, <laughs> Frank and his, you know, uh, girlfriend and part one, but they're, they're very like oddly eccentric oddball types, but, uh, these characters are far less interesting, but they feel more realistic and relatable if that makes sense. So it's kind of a weird, you know, flip flop of vibe. It's, it's a weird aesthetic that you go from a group of people that are a lot more fleshed out, but they're very weird and kind of assholes in the first movie. This movie, you get a group of people that are a lot more likable, but they, they're they just like a, they're just cannon fodder. They're just yeah, there to die. They're literally body count digits, is all yeah, they are. Except, like, Elizabeth who plays Carolyn is, like, the only one that really matters much. And the, the Michael character, by uh, God, who played him? Um, Colin something. Colin Burnson. Burnson, Cor okay. 
Corbin's, Corbin's brother. It, oh, is it? Is he really? <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, Corbin Burnson's brother also, um, you know, uh, his mother was, uh, for any daytime fans, Colin and Corbin's mother was Jeannie Cooper, who played uh, Catherine Chancellor, Mrs. Chancellor on The Young and the Restless for probably 35 years until she passed. So, like a huh. uh, daytime, you know, soap legend. So, <laughs> and Corbin would even do some uh, guest spots on Young and the Restless here and there over the years with his mother. He, I think he played... Uh, He played someone's brother, but he played like a priest on Young and the Restless. <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine Gordon Burnson popping up. Yeah, and had some scenes with his mom here and there, so which was always cool. But yeah, Colin Burnson was uh, Cor is Corbin's brother. So one of the few things I've actually seen him in. He's been in a good amount of stuff over the years. The only other thing I can think of that I ever saw him in was a horror movie called Creep Van. Oh wait, I have seen that. I can't remember who he played, huh? The very uh, racially insensitive Swami Bob character. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, I do remember now. I do recall. Oh, but I mean, geez. you know, 15 years ago, so. Yeah, it was a different time, I guess. Totally. Uh, but I, I wrote down here as my next note, old George Buck Flowers makes his first of two scenes in his cameo is the setting up the electric fence that he cuts himself on. I thought that was going to come back for some reason. And when he cut himself, I'm like, Oh, the blood is life. But now they're coming back for something else. But I love how he says oh, this fence, that'll stop him. And like Camille that pulls over on the side of the road, trying to find her way to the bodega Bay. He's just like, Oh, stop. What? I'm like, I can tell you, I can tell you what it's going to stop, but you know, that would ruin the movie. But, uh, yeah. You know, that whole scene exists to basically, A, to introduce two more quick body count digits, and two, to set up the eventual reveal later that it's their cattle that the puppets keep going and murdering, getting all the brain the brain matter for the serum. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, they come back with that, that vial of the, the serum at the end, and I, I know we're kind of jumping around here, but like when Toulon takes it, doesn't he literally like moo or, or squeal like a pig? And he's like, Oh, do you cretins you brought to me? You he know, animal brain. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah, he starts to kind of like make a, make weird animal sounds. Yeah. Which I, I don't know if that science checks out, but <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it, I, I can concur that it doesn't. And he, you know, and I mean, yeah, they, they weren't really good at getting, uh, brain matter for the serum and obviously torch was very not uh skilled at ensuring that it was usable <laughs> so because well, yeah so which because yeah, you mean, can't use cooked brains you know if you're going to absorb the brain matter you, you i guess uh you can't absorb it if it's cooked so uh, 
when, if he was going to bring to life a new puppet for the film, he should have at least like gave them a less detrimental special skill to help them collect the brain matter because fire <laughs> is bad. <laughs> fire bad. <laughs> and you know, I, I just have to note too. I mean, it's I, this is a side thing too, but it's like this this starts the the kind of multiple movie trend of like with every new installment they introduce a new puppet character for a handful of movies. This one being Torch. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's a good plot device. I, I guess you know you you get you get taste some good with the bad. Yeah, it keeps things fresh. So fresh like the the calves brain series. Huh? <laughs> I do love uh when uh what's George Buckflower's name in the movie? I think it's Matthew. According, according to IMDb, it's Matthew, but his wife, Martha, Sage Allen, she's a I don't know her from anything else. I didn't look up her IMDb to see if she had done anything else I had seen. But, like, I love it when she starts laying it on thick and she's like, oh, that hotel's cursed. They say Satan's got a suite of rooms down there where broomstone comes down from the chimneys. And I'm like, come on. The scenery and and her her two scenes, she makes her presence very known. (laughs) Yeah, she's laying it on pretty thick. (laughs) Satan's got a whole suite of rooms down there. And it's like, really? Well, let's go hang out. Shit. She went on to maybe do some more stuff after this. I, I because I feel like in the IMDb trivia it said that it was her her debut. So maybe she was one of those people who kind of started acting later in life and kind of that became a a thing for them. I don't know, but I'm I'm not familiar with her from literally anything else other than this. Yeah, I'm like I'm looking through her. Uh... So I IMDb. I mean, I do recognize a few movies she was in, like Mr. Saturday Night, a couple of TV shows, like Step by Step. She was in an episode of Knots Landing, Picket Fences. I mean, she's know. no she's no Buck Flower, but I mean, she's which, so. yeah. Oh, oh, who's better than George Buck Flower at playing crazy, quirky, weird guy? One of the all time great, like that guy type character actors. Like you. Everybody knows that face. Everybody. You've seen everybody's seen him in something. He's like he was like Dick Miller. You know, I mean, he was like he was in so much shit. So I was just thoroughly reminded of how prolific he was by somebody who did a double feature uh podcast uh on just George Black Flowers and they did Back to the Future and um oh what the hell was it? Uh they live. And I was just like, yeah, that's two weird, weird fucking, <laughs> you know, movies, man. He just did so much. He's always a big time favorite of uh, John John Carpenter. He, John Carpenter always put him in his movies. So that's probably, I think, where most people knew him from. But I feel like he was also a porn producer in the 70s, 60s and 70s. That, that, that's probably true. I, I, uh, don't, I don't doubt it. He has he has the face for, of somebody that that probably produced porn. Totally, and this was a oddly, unfortunately, his only real full moon appearance was in this movie. He he was also in Sorority Babes One, which isn't really it is full moon, but it isn't. So, oh, that's right, he was because he had that infamous line of that <laughs> a friend of mine used to look at me. Out, out of the blue, and this is totally off subject. We're talking about sorority base for two two hot seconds. He would look at me and just give me this strange look and go, "God damn that fucking imp!" 
when you said that, that's the first thing that popped into my head is, is when he opens that door. Cause it's just that oddly awkward, long, like long take. Cause he opens the door and the girl's just standing there with the knife up in the air, waiting to stab him. And it's like, she's waiting for him to finish the line. It's like, God, you have that fucking imp. <laughs> yeah. There's an old buddy of mine that we used to watch these movies together all the time. And he would just look at me. He's like, Cam, I'm like, yeah, what? And he's like, God damn that fucking imp. And I would just crack up laughing. Uh, great shit, great shit. Uh, anyway, back to, back to back to the movie. After uh, they get laying it on pretty thick, we get back to the hotel, and uh, you know now we finally you know everybody's talking in the room. They're they're looking over the the monitors. Uh, we get the introduction, not the introduction of Lance, but there's a, Lance is talking. Uh, fuck, I forgot who uh, played him. It was Jeff Weston, but I think he had a. a, a Jeff Weston was the name he used back in his full moon days, at least. I know he goes by a different name today, but he did this in Demonic Toys. So Yeah, and he was in uh, Oblivion 2 also, wasn't he? Uh, yes, actually, he was in Oblivion 2 also, now that you mention it. So he did three. He did three movies for full moon. So oh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's official full moon alumni. If you're at least in two movies, then I, I figure that counts. Yeah, definitely. And, he's, and I mean, his appearances in... You know, obviously, Puppet Master 2 and Demonic Toys are definitely, like, those are classic full moon movies. So. But, uh, is this the part where not too long after they, they're looking over the, the monitors, Camille screams because she thinks she sees puppets, but they're just dolls? <laughs> yeah, there's just, like, those raggedy and cheap-looking dolls. <laughs> right. It's like, I've seen them. I'm getting out of here. We must ne- we must leave. Now we're all in danger and should leave. She wasn't technically wrong. I mean, they, they all should have just left that maybe they all would have lived. Totally. But if they all left, there'd be no movie, so they can't. So. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, not too long after this, uh, Pinhead and Jester, they they snag Camille. They knock her out and tie her up. And what is what happens once again? Pinhead does the heavy lifting. You know. Uh, They're out of the scene. Here's the real question. So who killed her? I don't know. I don't know because they. It just seems like they they kidnapped her, and they don't ever actually show anybody kill her. I don't think. No, but no, they don't. And and she's just seen dead later. But in in my mind, I know who killed who killed her. You tell me. I think it was Blade. See, I I I blame Pinhead because he's the one that dragged her off. But I can tell you this: Uh, it's sure as hell wasn't Jester because Jester. Don't kill anybody because hot hot take. He's the he's the worst puppet. Yeah, yeah. He he. I, I really, like his look. I like his look, but I yeah, don't he, like he, him as a puppet. I always have to literally laugh when I see people be like, "He's the leader of the puppets," and I'm like, mm, "I don't know which movies you're watching, but he's not leading anything." Blade is the leader. <laughs> like, yeah, Blade always has Blade been and always will be the leader. Like, Pinhead is, like, the first in charge, we'll say. Like, And the others I just kind of picture as, like, additional troops. Like, Well, like we were talking about, like, uh, uh, Children of the Corn a little bit off the air. You know, I, I look at Blade as, like, Isaac, and Pinhead yeah. is, like, Malachi. He's the muscle. Totally, totally. And, you know, Jester would be, like, you know... I don't know, the fucking obnoxious kid from 
children of the corn five or something. Yeah. No, the no field of screams are no no uh urban harvest ha- is Eli. That was Daniel Kearney, the kid who played the the master in demonic toys one yeah yeah okay yeah i I thought he was i thought that was part two or part three i couldn't remember if we were were comparing corn children of the corn leaders to (laughs) puppet master puppets eli would legit be like tunnler (laughs) 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 be like tunnler josiah the boy preacher from like you know part four would be like torch (laughs) (laughs) that dumb kid from part five that would totally be jester uh, and Isaac you know, from the new one can be leech woman. So, you know, I, I'm t- I'm telling you, this is the only podcast where we can compare puppets and puppet master to the the leaders of the children of the corn. You know, <laughs> only 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 place, only place you heard heard it here first, folks. Sandre Toulon, who walks behind the rose. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, a bit of trivia: I did not know that they had that. The, the torch puppet was the most expensive one that they had built for this movie because they had to build four di- different torch puppets and each one had like a was designed for like different scenes specifically, which makes sense when you consider the fact that it basically has a flamethrower for a right arm. Yeah, it's yeah, but, I, I, I don't remember the functions of each of them, but yeah, you have to have that prop puppet that you can beat up. You have to have the one that actually has the the pyrotechnic ability to to flame throw and then probably one that's you know the the rod ca- you know the cable controlled one and and that fourth one i don't know what the fourth one would do but <laughs> i don't remember what maybe the did. fourth one just had the eyes glow who knows maybe yeah maybe because i mean literally sometimes it is literally a matter of like having to do having completely different models of the same thing that do like the most minute simple shit that seems pointless but you have to you can't put all those mechanisms into the same thing so and it's not wise to either because then if something happens you know you're you don't have something else to fall back on so Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. I would like to I'd like to know of like a full breakdown of what each one does, but you know, who knows? Who knows? But but we we get another round of closed circuit TV monitors, randomly lit candles, half drinking beers. Michael's drinking wine in bed, or not? Michael, uh, Patrick's drinking wine in bed. Michael hasn't been even been introduced yet. And Wanda, well, Charlie Spradling is coming on to Lance hard, and he is either clueless or just playing hard to get. I'm like, she's doing everything but give him a handy under the table, you know, to to, to get him to go with her. But yeah, yeah he, uh, he catches on eventually, though. Yeah, he catches on eventually, almost too late because they like when when they well let's let's face it, we're going to ruin everything. When they both die, it's so much you know back to back that it's like, yep. Didn't taste long or taste long. <laughs> didn't take long. <laughs> Probably didn't taste long either. But uh, the the one thing that always stood out to me like awkwardly was when she she's like hitting on him and you know then he he finally chimes in and makes it you know makes her aware of what he's thinking and he's like it's a double and he pulls like two rubbers out of his like shirt pocket a double. Yeah, you don't remember that? 
He's like, I don't, it's I don't like, re- and he, he literally pulls two rubbers out of his his shirt pocket. <laughs> That's I didn't even remember that line. <laughs> it's it's so random. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, kind of random. Oh shit, that's weird. That's weird. Well, maybe that uh, that other condom was meant for tunneler, Tunneler's drill, because uh, Tunneler does drill out Patrick's brain, and Lance comes in and smashes the fuck out of him with a lamp. It just destroys him. That that's like the end of Tunneler. Tunneler gets one one body count, one one person on his body count, and then gets defeated by a lamp. You know, there's uh, yeah, that very bitch defeat. Like, I, I, I don't understand <laughs> dying so easily. Uh, again, as I always say, and I hate to just say it like this, but it was just wrote in the script, I guess. Uh, I, what... yeah. I, I knew that was what you were going to say, too, because, I mean, it's sadly that is like the truest definition of like why it happened. <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty much what, what the story dictated. So the end. Yeah. Now, the one thing I, I, got, I got two questions. One. They, they obviously they finally saw the you know they saw the tunneler on the, the on the monitors. They'd seen him killing Patrick, drilling out his brain and just like just destroying him. And so they seen this thing. They they killed it. Why aren't they panicking more? They're they're acting very very calm, even to the point where they they go into the cold. This is the second question I have. Where did the, the hotel have that cold storage that was like? Yeah, it's like a giant walk-in freezer or something. I always wondered because that shot's so uh, fancy feeling. I don't know. It's the way it's like kind of shot and lit and staged. It feels very showy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, kind of like trying to make it look all artsy fartsy with like him being dead there and them kind of like all fawning over his dead body. And, yeah. yeah, I don't. I mean, it's it's a hotel, so I guess it would make sense that maybe they would have a large walk-in freezer to, I mean, that, you know, for food preparation for all the, all the guests when the, yeah, when the banquets and, and yeah. Cause as, as we saw in part one, you know, when Gallagher's got them all at the, the table at the end in part one, they're in like a big banquet room, you know? So I, I guess it, it makes sense. I guess it's just, it's such a, it feels like such a random out of place, uh, spot to stick them yeah it just seemed really weird and it's like they're also not not panicking at all they're they they're essentially putting away their 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 colleague their friend and uh yeah i was gonna say that's exactly a good point there too is because what do they do like they literally her brother gets killed by a living puppet and they take his body and stick it in the freezer and then what do they do they continue to video surveillance the property and don't report his murder. Yeah, there is not there's I've had several notes in here, several instances where I made notes on like, where were the authorities? Why didn't they call them and be like, listen, this Alex Whitaker guy from you know the first movie, Paul Lamatt's character, like he was right. There are pu- puppets. He's not a schizophrenic. Maybe we need to like one alert the authorities that there's killer puppets are running around. I mean, like, but then again, who would believe them? They they didn't report it because there wasn't enough money to hire an actor to play the the, the cop. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, it, all, it all went into those like stop motion shots. So 
I, you know, that's what, like, my literal next note is what. It's a very strange choice, though. It's a very strange choice. Well, that's why my next note was like, why didn't anybody contact the authorities? Like, I don't know. Stuff like that that can make sense if you're in, like, you know, say, like, uh, like in an Elm Street movie, there's there's a, a history of like, oh, these characters die. I guess we're going to have a funeral and we're going to bury them. But then if you're like in a Friday the 13th movie where everything happens over the course of like one night and it's like boom, 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 boom. There's not really time or reaction reactionary time to do those things. Or yeah, point, you know I mean? well, by the time you discover the dead bodies, it, you're already in the climax trying to defeat your your adversary like in this like they they find patrick they they put him in the freezer and then they just like continue to like video surveil the place for like another day or two and they don't report anything nope i know none of it i never really thought about it until this much like how there were things in the first puppet master movie that i'd never really thought about the logistics and the hows and the whys until we discussed it out loud that's something that is just clicking to me now where i'm like there's there was no concern for reporting him being killed he was murdered <laughs> yeah no <laughs> but you know no big <laughs> again you know we have to talk to the writers on that one yeah this fabian guy has a lot to answer to no <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, or I, I should Pabian, not Fabian, not Fabian, the actor, <laughs> David Pabian. <laughs> oh, so I got to ask, what do you think of Toulon's re-entrance? Uh, how ill-timed it is for him to come in looking like he does. I mean, he looks like a gothic horror movie version of The Invisible Man, or I should say... In, uh, what was his his, uh, his pseudonym? Eric Chane. Eric Chane. Yeah. Chane. I, you know, bad timing on his part makes him look very suspect for <laughs> obvious reasons. But coming I in, hope, coming in, looking like a fancy version of Dark Man, you know. Totally. But you know what? Like, I love it. I love it. I love the Eric Chane like alter ego for Toulon. This is the one movie in the franchise where it's funny because it's a direct sequel to part one, but it kind of has the vibes of like a Nightmare 2 in a way. Now, obviously not in the homoerotic element <laughs> that and Nightmare 2 is so known for, but Nightmare 2 is so known for it just doesn't fit anything that came before it or after it and this representation of Toulon does not fit anything that came before it or after it and no, no not, not, not counting the Lilith Reich obviously but because Toulon is just like an evil Nazi in that one but um all the, the full moon produced movies um he's such a like genial like docile kind old man and in this one he is like he he looks like he wandered off the set of a universal horror film and he is crazy <laughs> oh he's great i like i love this version of him but you're right it doesn't seem to fit within I, the I timeline have, of the the other I, franchise yeah i have heard it argued that it it is maybe an instance of he's reanim he's been reanimated with the serum so it it might have some 
alterations on behavioral aspects with a person. You I know? could buy that. I could, I could, I could buy into that. He's not the 100%. Obviously, he's not like uh, the William Hickey we knew in part one. But um, oh. he's not that kind old man that we knew him. So maybe when he came back, it, he is kind of an evil off-kilter uh, dude. And it works because he's actually – he is a, a great villain in this movie. He's actually – I think it, – it's a tall stretch when I say this. But I think he's one of the best human villains of the – of the franchise is uh, Andre Toulon as Eric Shani. <laughs> I would agree. I'd agree. Shani also kind of like, you know, Chaney as in Lon Chaney. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I love when the, uh, I can't even remember which character said it. I think it might've been um, Lance says, let's where have you been Chaney? And it literally straight up calls him Chaney. I'm like, ah, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. He knew. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he knew what was up. But uh, I love how he claims that he's the rightful owner. And he's like, but oh, I was away in Budapest or, you know, <laughs> or wherever he was at. And it's like claim, claiming that he's a rightful owner. Just like, uh, nope, they're going to check into that and they can't find anything. But uh, this is where that I, I don't even remember if they had a scene. Now, this I just watched this. I watched it twice in the last week for our uh well, in the last two weeks for our review. And when did Carolyn actually call Camille's son, Michael, the guy that, you know, so that Corbin Bernson's uh, mm-hmm. brother, did she call him by phone and let, let him know that his, his mother had disappeared? Or I, did he did just I, show up? I believe, I believe she did. Yeah. It, yeah. So I, 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 I can't remember now, but like, yeah, it just seemed very weird timing that how he showed up on his motorcycle. I remember watching it and forgetting exactly who he was. And I had to like rewind his introductory scene to re-remind myself that he was actually Camille's son. (laughs) (laughs) At first I, I, I was just like, who is this guy? And why is he showing up? Like maybe he's a late member of the group. And I'm like, no, that's right. He's Camille's son. That makes sense. That makes sense. and I think Lance even mentioned that too, how there's like it, people just keep showing up because like Camille just randomly, you know, she showed up. And it's funny because she doesn't even have an introductory scene. She's just kind of like sitting in the back of the one shot and then yeah. starts being like she's, you know, like she's freaking Daniel Craig in a Knives Out movie. And then, <laughs> right. And then, you know, like Eric Shawnee just randomly shows up and then, you know, Bernson just randomly shows up. So there's a lot of like random people coming and going from that place. Yeah, for a place that's been closed down for years and is uh, condemned, you know, it's, it's got a lot of foot traffic. But uh, yeah, speaking of foot traffic, Blade and Leech Woman pay the old couple a visit to pay our uh, Martha and, and Matthew a visit. And they bump up Buck, Buck Flowers off camera. Again, <laughs> not, not a fan of the, of the off-camera kill, but I love when the camera cuts over. Our uh, second camera kill for the movie, for the record, the second off-camera kill. Yeah, yeah, tr- true, because we, do, we don't see Camille die either. Which is funny because in retrospect, this movie has three off-camera kills, being Camille, Matthew, and Lance. All three die off-camera. Huh. 
Yeah, that is weird. And and it doesn't really have that high of a body count, even if you count in the off-screen kills. It, it's funny because there's a I, – I cite it as having an eight-person body count. IMDb states that it's seven, but I say eight because I consider Tuan's second death. Uh, yeah, yeah. And notice when Matthew dies, who kills him? It's Leech Woman. Notice <laughs> – Notice what she doesn't do in this whole movie because the brass at Paramount didn't like her, so she doesn't spit up one leech in this movie. Nope, nope. So. <laughs> but, you know, uh, but she, she had to carve out the old man's brains. She couldn't just, like, put leeches on him. She had to carve out his brains, but then Torch shows up and <laughs> fucks everything up, <laughs> you know? Much as I like like him. Like, it is fun watching the puppets toying with the farmer's wife, with Martha. When, like, I, I, I know this is really weird me to admit this, but I wrote a note. I'm like, why did the evil wench throw Leech Woman into the fire? Bad Martha, bad Martha. <laughs> One thing I always thought was weird was, like, okay, they just, like, cut your husband's head open in his sleep, okay? Right. And killed but she seems more upset when Leech Woman, like, knocks that doll off the, the shelf and it breaks. I had a note about that. She and seemed she, more distraught over the doll than her husband by far. She's super heartbroken. And plus, that thing must have been the most fragile shit ever because it basically, like, fell probably, like, four feet to the floor. And, like, every limb on that thing fucking came loose. Yeah, yeah it all came apart. Yeah, Did you notice they had the same like little gears and stuff in it, just like the other the the actual puppets from Puppet Master had in it? Yep. I was just like, yeah, I I I, I noticed that this time around. God, like I said, it's probably been a good twelve years since I've seen this. But Tor shows up, and he fucks Martha up. He sets her on fire, and it's the first of two really good full body burns. Like this movie, like again. Like we were talking about earlier, you know, knowing that they're not a fan of uh, CGI flame and CGI fire because of, and I agree with you when they use uh, CGI to do elemental type stuff, rain, water, fire, it doesn't look good. It just never looks this as realistic as real, you know, elements. Yep. But this one looks so good. And uh, I, I love the following scene where Toulon, he's like talking in his little laboratory and the bowels of the hotel and he's like we must leave a little light on for our little ones i hope their harvest was successful <laughs> and and this is the one point where i kind of like i know we both kind of admitted that jester is like the worst puppet but like his sad face is yeah. just this you know kind of makes me think of a sad puppy dog it's just like yeah. oh it is a cute face he actually i think he looks better with a frown <laughs> <laughs> with a smile he just looks creepy I mean, he's just such a useless <laughs> puppet. Like, like if I ever made a Puppet Master movie, I'd be like, you're not in this one. <laughs> like, completely. We'll, like, let you him. stay on the shelf. Yeah, I'd totally kick him to the curb. Same as like, you know, you know, and you know, a lot of times when a director would be doing one of these, he'd have kind of the say of who, who's in which movie, you know, and that's why Leech Woman would later have more of a resurgence because the Dakota was a big Leech Woman fan, so whenever he made one, he liked to stick Leech Woman in it, so he wanted her in part three. When he came back and did Curse, he put her in Curse. Like, even though she doesn't spit up any leeches in that one either, she's very just uh, much like a like a prop in that one. 
but like he he would want to keep putting her in them you know and stuff so and she kinda, thing he did i liked i liked her i thought she was a great puppet it was a great character yeah so she had her comeback pretty much thanks to to him you know paramount be damned so yeah well you know full moon would outlive even paramount so you know fuck him <laughs> but this is where i made the note i i gotta say i love this version i know we've already kind of touched base on this but i'll say it again i love this version of toulon uh played by steve wells he's He's like more maniacally evil than any of the other versions of Toulon. And I kind of appreciate that. It's an oddity of of one of the, you know, one of these sequels to have this kind of a character, you know, or have this version of the character. But I like it. I I, kind of like it just for being, you know, just doing something different. He's definitely one of the strongest human villains of the franchise, I think. And did you, I have to notice too, in his little laboratory when I think it's in that sequence too, where he's saying about, you know, leaving the light on for them to get back. Did you notice that uh, you can see Mr. Punch in the background? Yes. Yes, um, I, I have. I've, I've noticed that many a times. I always love seeing that Mr. Punch doll in there. So it's, maybe doll takes place in the same universe. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, Guy Rolf would, you know, kind of segue from dolls to. Uh, playing. Uh, when did when did he? Which one did he play? Uh, Toulon first. Was it not three? Uh, was it four? Uh, no, he first appeared in three. He was in three. Oh, that's my thing. He was in three, four, five, and six. Or no, yeah, so three, four, five, three, four, five, and seven. I'm sorry. Yeah, because six was. Oh fuck! Was that curse? No, that's six. not curse. Yeah, six was curse with okay. Doctor. Yeah, so he he's like literally the male lead in part three, and then he would be the you know morph head effect for Decapitron in four and five to talk to Rick Myers, and then he's the the opening uh, narration at the beginning of uh, part seven, and part seven would end up being his final film. So, yeah, hell, he had a hell of a run, man. He. he... I can't remember what he lived to be like 91, 92. He was, he was, he was up there. Very old. I mean, he was already very old when he did dolls. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, he will always be my Toulon and that's, that's my Toulon, but I, I do like this guy and I like Toulon's plan who, you know, he wants to resurrect his dead wife who just happens to look exactly like Carolyn. So we got kind of a, you know, a Dracula thing going on with him pining away over a dead loved one that's been gone for 50 years that, you know. You know, I I mean, I guess I see it. It's, you know, you pine away after a loved one for 50 years. You will be willing to do anything to bring her back if you had the means, you know, with it, like the, the secret serum that he had. But, uh, you get that kind of neat flashback too with them in Cairo when he is given the secret to begin with. Yeah, I love how it, how it fades it, like into the poster and it dissolves in, to Cairo where mm-hmm. they're at, at the puppet show. I love that transition, great transition. Yeah. With with her actually playing uh, Elsa. Yeah, and it's funny because you know they and it's literally he gets the secret from quote unquote Cairo merchant. The, yeah, they and, didn't even uh, give them an actual name, just the merchant. And it's funny because that character would would reappear in in retro uh, 
as played by Jack Donner, but he, and he would be given a name, Af, Afzel, Afzel the wizard. But um, the the backstory of how he got the magic is completely rewritten at that point. So, oh yeah, they'd rewrite the the lore for these so many times, <laughs> so many times. Just notable to say too, in that Cairo flashback to the little children and all Charles Band's kids. Yeah, I I, did, I noticed that when I was looking at the cast list. I'm like, oh, I see a couple of bands in there. And like, I figured they were either children of his or nieces or nephews or something. Yeah, two of his his two of his sons, uh, Taryn and Alex. Alex, who would later go on to uh, play the inquisitive kid looking at the dinosaur skeletons in Doctor Mordred. Uh, <laughs> would appear as himself briefly in noangels.com and was a very successful musician as the lead singer of the band the calling then did they do a couple of some music for full moon or did they not not Uh, alex band on his own wrote and performed a song that was the end credits theme to doll graveyard called which is a pretty incredible song uh but the calling themselves did never uh, supply any music to Full Moon. So, now, I got a, a question: the the Cairo Merchant. Why, why did he have to set uh, Toulon's you know puppet show on fire with his mind? Like, what was the point of that? If he was just going to give him the this this the the this, the the key to the the life elixir or the serum that you want to call it. My first thought is, is he's an asshole. <laughs> yep, that, 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 that I, was my assumption, too. I really can't give you an answer to that, truthfully. Uh, the second, maybe, I don't know, to show him how easy it is to just lose things or, you know, and, you know, the, the sh- you know your, your little puppets are not forever, but I maybe i can help you make them be forever i don't know i'm i'm grasping at straws with that yeah i i am am too trying to make sense of it all that that situation is notable though because you know you see like especially if you ever go on full moon direct and look at you know the merchandise for sale replicas are a big part of the merchandise that full moon sells all the time and there is always mephisto replicas because for some reason that's become like a big character puppet that they <laughs> sell replicas of all the time and it's like mephisto always only appears in that flashback sequence from cairo in part two because he looks like he looks like blade is you know Faust. yeah, yeah but exactly that, but that's it and, you know and it's like one of those things where it's like that became a very iconic thing and so did the the uh i guess was it the homunculus also, yeah, that yeah, he, he has chained up too, and that's another one that kind of became this sort of like weirdly iconic thing that was only ever in one movie for like three seconds, and is never seen or mentioned again. I know it's so weird. It's so weird. Hey, give like, me a spin-off movie of the homunculus and what happened to him. <laughs> like that would be no more random than doing a Doctor Death movie. <laughs> you know, I like the Doctor Death movie. I have to say, it was better than it had any right to be. I I did too. So yeah, I was yeah. because I'm I am probably in the minority, but I am have never really been a fan of retro 
so yeah no nah, me either it's, I, I can take it or leave it i don't hate it but i'd certainly yeah i for good or bad it. i just sort of there so i but you know yeah whatever it is what it is right yeah now this is where i wonder what the hell was going on when the the pharaoh or the the cairo merchant promises Tulan to give him the secrets of of Ramsey's tomb and his wife convinces him to, to do it, but she convinces him to do it for the children. Yeah. Like you know, it's very huh? nefarious. She's like, yes, for the children. <laughs> like I, I, I was I was kind of hoping, like, you know, especially when I mean I I've seen this a few times, so I understand. But like, you know, the first time I watched this, I was just like, ooh, is she gonna turn out to be evil? No, they just never developed it. They just never yeah. went anywhere and, with it. And you know, you know what the irony of that is, is she's like, do it, yes, for the children. And then, like, not long after that, like, you get your fifth kill with Torch literally murdering a child. Yeah, the random, or the rando shitheel kid who's pretending to be Indiana Jones whipping Nazis. It almost feels like, like, an, like, filler that got shoehorned in that was put in for like another kill or runtime or something and i'm sure it probably wasn't it was probably always there but yeah this random little shit prick kid <laughs> oh asshole kid asshole kid and what child has a goddamn whip as a toy somebody that's seen indiana jones way too many I, times what child like pretends he's going around like killing and torturing Nazis and shit? And I always thought it was sort of weird too. I guess this is your one flourish of homoeroticism when he like to like strips the doll <laughs> and then <laughs> and he's it's just such a weird scene. It's so, so weird. But that sequence I think has some of the best shots of Torch. His motion. oh yeah that sequence and you can really see the scale when that kid goes up and picks him up like those are all great moments yeah but i love it because i'm a twisted son of a bitch i love seeing as we call them random shit heel kids getting mm. theirs you know and, and 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 paying for their transgressions you know he, he finds this thing it's like you know and he starts picking it up and playing with it he, he's obviously he knows it. it's it's not just a toy he, but he starts fucking with it and beating beating Torch up, and it's like, dude, you're, you're going to get some shit if you don't quit messing around. You're going to fuck around and find out, and he finds out. Cause... It's just a weird scene. I'm Indiana, and this is the set. <laughs> <laughs> Future director, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know of any child that age that would know what a set is. <laughs> so, But uh, he, got, he got his, and it's funny because they chose to do it in a very... Uh, um, non-offensive way by just sort of showing that look of shock face with his face kind of lighting up orange from the fire and then just not showing the, the payoff. Yeah, they, they handle it pretty pretty well. They they handle the like the the fact that, you know, Torch literally sets this little kid on fire. They handle it about as tastefully as they possibly could. One, I'm like, get me a little person stunt double that they can like do a full body burn on. <laughs> right, right. I'd much, ra- I'd much rather see that. And I know that says about my moral compass. I'd rather see a kid burn to death on camera. But you know, hey. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people probably would have loved to see that on set because I know that making this movie wasn't always fun for people. 
because it was a tense set and Dave Allen, I, I, as reports have said, wasn't always the, you know, the most efficient or polite director. Oh, really? See, I hadn't heard any of that. So he was, I think, I want to say Dave Dakota has said that he, he was kind of in over his head and, um, at, at some points he had even suggested that he should probably be replaced but that was a that was a no-go <laughs> you know kind of deal because you know he he designed the puppets he was doing the stop motion you know he owned the props so if he walked they were going to lose everything and stuff so it was just sort of one of those things where it's like you got to push through and deal with it but i i don't think that he got along well with people i know dave didn't get along with get along well with him at all they did they huh. did i think that they uh, were on friendly terms and but you know they they you know Dave's a professional so he soldiered through and you know uh, Dave Allen did it I think it was a it was a job that came up and he's like you know yeah I'll do it you know I'll show you I can direct and you know deliver a movie you know because he wanted to do primevals so this was kind of an example uh, moment of him being like you know i can do this give me the shot you know and yeah, he did i mean because he did what stop motions and special visual effects for 40 50 yeah. different movies i'm thinking yeah yeah and he he was he had been you know nominated for an academy award for young sherlock holmes like and you know uh he would get that shot too i want to say it was maybe you know three four years later you know when charlie would eventually you know cave in and be like all right fine go make primevals and he, they footed the bill and let him go to you know i think it was like the swiss alps and you know shoot shoot prime. they're still trying to finish that fucking movie supposedly i think it's as close to it can as it can be or already fully done i think uh, it took a few years after they did the campaign to raise the, the completion funds because stop motion isn't a quick process. But uh, they, I think, I think they're through it. They're just it's not it. It's a special movie, so it's not something that just gets dumped out on streaming on a Friday afternoon. You know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not gonna not, they're not gonna give it like you know the uh, the baby oopsie tri- treatment. It's it's something that has to be uh, handled in a bigger, more respectful fashion because it, it is like one of the biggest, you know, most important pieces of the full moon history. So, so that's yeah, definitely it, been in the works for decades, man. You know, I mean, there is considering there are, even the dormant years, I guess. There are print, there are print ads and mentions of it in magazines like Starlog and things like that as far back as the 70s oh, it, it, for a period it was one of the longest in development movies in hollywood for uh, decades don't doubt it don't doubt it the only thing that could probably almost compare to it would be like freddy versus jason so uh, <laughs> you know, and, and we all know I, how great that turned out you know i remember there were uh there was this classic issue of Cine Fantastique magazine. There was a full moon, full full moon issue. It also had that classic artwork for Shadow Over Ensmith of the Gill woman coming out of the water with her arms covering her her breasts. Yeah, I had that issue. I had that yeah, issue once upon a time. Masterful issue. It is a it is an incredible issue. Miss that magazine so much. Yeah. But that had some great pieces 
you know, set visit pieces from uh, things like Castle Freak, the Josh Kirby franchise, and Primeval's. Yeah, I'm gonna have to dig through my old uh, magazines in my closet and see if I still have that because I'm, I know I had it once upon a time because I remember that cover with the shadow over Innsmouth. I I have I have mine still and I, I have kept it safe all these years and I have the issue that immediately followed it because that movie came out and I, being the ever vigilant you know sassy know it all fan. Uh, I was, I noticed numerous things that were cited as like, uh, incorrect facts and things that were mentioned in some of the articles and pieces. So I wrote a letter. <laughs> you would, next, you would. And in, and in the next <laughs> issue, they, they printed my letter in the next issue. Oh, shit. I probably have that then. I have, like I said, I, like at least at one time, I know I had a bunch of I, those issues. I can pinpoint the issue for you because it was the issue that had Toy Story on the cover. Yep, yep, yep. I've had that. Uh, like I said, I don't know if I have it anymore, but so much of my stuff has been lost over time. <laughs> yep, but yeah, you know, back back, back to the the point though. Yeah. This, anyway, yeah. this movie was you know basically a, an an issue of you know I can show you I can make a movie you know that works and will will sell you know. So I did this. Now let me do that. So and Puppet Master too, you know, much like Part One, it was a big, you know, success. So even oh, yeah. if it wasn't necessarily always smooth, because they ran over on uh, schedule by like five or six days as well, making this movie. So <laughs> things just didn't go quickly. Yeah, I can say over schedule and over budget is not usually uh, in the Charlie Band's wheelhouse. Yeah, probably kind of not to the excessive degree of, but sort of in a similar case of like popcorn, where Alan Ormsby was just taking far too much time and money setting things up. It was kind of a similar situation with Dave Allen, I believe, where it was just it was taking way too long to to accomplish a lot of what was needed. And you yeah. know, if you're on a quote unquote low budget movie, you don't have a lot of spare time to just toil away i can't imagine shooting on 35 millimeter that how much that that cost them <laughs> it was so expensive way to shoot yeah it's not, not a cheap endeavor so uh, but anyway uh we digress we digress my uh i can't even remember what happens next other than when carolyn is investigating the they're doing like i guess you could say an autopsy on tunneler yeah you know, but mechanism yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like gears but there's a fluid running through them and it's just like yeah that's the serum we know this but uh T toulon is pining away for elsa you know it's where we learned that she'd been dead for 50 years she's been waiting to get back with her but this is like a part where i have like a bit of a another bit of an issue a minor quibble michael has like michael has a weird way for grieving uh his missing mother and by hitting on Carolyn and trying to dance with her. And she has a weird way of grieving for her brother by, by dancing with him. Like they, they should not be dancing to an old phonograph, you know, <laughs> you, you know, know the, the funniest moment of that too is to me is, is when Chani comes in and he asks, you know, if 
what is it? He asks if he can cut in or something, or he, yeah, he, if he can steal the dance or something yeah, like he, that. He gets her to dance with him instead, and then they dance for a, a brief moment, and then uh, Camille's son is like, "Can I cut in?" And he's like, "Well, your prerogative." Miffed and he just is like, "Whatever," and then he goes to walk away, and then he just like breaks the fucking records on the floor. Yeah, he brings like, oh, these things are so rare and so fragile. I'm just like, dude, that was a dick move. <laughs> now, this this movie has a cameo in it by something that we've mentioned uh, on a couple of other shows of ours. It's a prop, or, or at least a piece of wardrobe. Do you know what it is? Oh my goodness. I'm going to know. <laughs> I'm going to know the moment you say it. <laughs> <laughs> Michael is wearing a Pamela Voorhees sweater, like almost exactly the same, almost the same shade and design as a fucking Pamela Voorhees sweater. One thing I noticed is, is there are a few moments where the 1990s fashions just blaze off the screen at you. One is his, yes, that hilariously like bulky looking sweater thing that he's wearing. Another is the ridiculously big high panties that Wanda wears when she gets out of bed. Yeah, the grandma panties. Yep, the granny panties. And the other one is when they first show up, like uh, Carolyn is wearing like this bizarre looking like pants suit thing. (laughs) With the wide shoulder pads that were so prevalent back then. Yeah, like very baggy, like pants suit with like the shoulder pad shit and stuff. Yeah, it's like, and and what's his face? Lance has those moments where he's wearing like the short shorts. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very like the the fashions in this movie didn't age well. Whereas I think the fashions in part one actually don't really feel dated. Yeah, they don't feel that dated. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a little bit, but not they, horrible. Like they they, they're. Feel- they don't feel dated in four or five either, I don't think. No. It, part two is the one where, I mean, obviously, part three, they are dated because it's it's set in the 40s. But um, part two is specifically the one, I think, of, of the franchise where it actually shows its age the most by some of the wardrobe choices. And yes, that, that Mrs. Voorhees looking sweater is really choice. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hero, he wears a, a big uh, Mrs. Voorhees sweater. Do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> and then it's followed by one of my most favorite things in watching these older movies is awkward movie fucking. Like I know I was always in, for lack of a better term, titillated by sex scenes in the eighties and nineties as a young boy. You know, because you know it's the day before the yeah. internet. But yeah, God, it's watch these things for like. <laughs> Like, see some titties, see some good sex, you know? Uh, that's not PC to say nowadays, so I apologize if that offends anyone. But, like, you know, if you're if you're a guy, you understand it, you know? And it's not really being perverted or sexist. It's just, you know, it's what you did. Yeah, and, it's just the truth. It's the truth. Yeah, the sex is very, like, boring. <laughs> yeah, very milk toast. It's just, very like... And just dull and... <laughs> it's like, ooh, another slow-mo shot of him running his hand through her hair and her looking very uncomfortable and him looking like he's in pain. <laughs> and strategically hiding every body part. Right, right, right. 
uh, again, awkward movie fucking. Like, it's like, sometimes it works. Most of the time, it just doesn't. We got that, but then we didn't. Shockingly, didn't get that with with Wanda and Lance. You get like the post coital. <laughs> right, right. Them. So yeah, she looks very disappointed in their post coital love scene. She looks very disappointed. And was it me or did that picture she find? I always wondered was that supposed to be like a picture of his like wife and kids or something that she found because she looked extremely pissed off when she found it. Like she was like, "Oh no, not this." It's funny as I can I would, tell you, I've literally seen this movie like so many fucking times. Like, no joke, 50, 60 fucking times. I do not remember that shot until, like, I, I, like, and I know I've seen it, but, like, I don't consciously remember that shot. And then I watched it tonight, and I'm like, I don't remember that, and I don't know who that's supposed to be. See, you, you saw that as maybe being his family. I saw it, and I'm like, is that, like, someone that used to live in the hotel or stay there back in the day? Like... I don't know. You know, in retrospect now, I know like Danny Coogan used to live in the hotel while he worked there with, with his uncle. <laughs> so huh. they're, you know, they're, they, I, I don't know. I don't know who that's supposed to be, but uh, I like your idea better. Well, she gives it a kind of a very snooty, very like, uh, not snooty, not snooty is not the word I'm looking for, but a very like she wrinkles her nose. just like, oh, like, oh, fuck. Did I yeah. just like fuck a yes. married man? No. Which I like your idea better because it adds a bit more layer to his character if that's what it is. Yeah, but, you know. Hey, that's my that's ask, my story, and I'm sticking to it. Ask Charlie for a Lance spinoff movie. <laughs> <laughs> it would be no more stranger than a Doctor Death spinoff. The one spinoff movie nobody fucking asked for, <laughs> <laughs> but we still got it anyway, right? Uh Let's see what happens next. The boys uh, are puppets. The boys return with enough brains to finally complete the formula. So we get a big kind of moment with Toulon. He's got it. Or he says, I got almost enough to finish it, but this will have to do. Like, and you know what happens? What happens next? Wanda is and Lance are both naked post, you know, both naked post coital. So, you know, they're going to die soon. Yep. But. Like she walks out of the room, makes it a couple of steps, and she hears a noise, goes back, and Blade has is already like digging his, you know, his hooks into uh, Lance's head, and then we get that great shot. I mean, I, it's probably one of the best, if not the best, stop motion shot in any of these movies. You know, I mean, they stopped doing them stop motion years ago. They don't just don't yeah. do that anymore. But that shot of him leap of Blade leaping off the bed running across the floor as the camera's panning with them and then like it zooms in for her it's just such a great shot i mean they would they knew they had a money shot there because they reused it uh, on the monitors when uh uh oh in uh demonic toys yep. yep yeah so i mean it's a great great shot great kill and the funny thing is like i that's basically all charninsky wants to watch yeah that's all he wants to watch that that's he's watching that same shot on a loop it's the, the sequence over and over and over again which you know <laughs> 90s full moon fan would only want to watch the Wanda scene from this movie. So, well, God, how long would uh, Charlie Spradling that plays Wanda? I mean, she would be like the, the you she, know the 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 goodwill ambassador of Full Moon for years. Full Moon Full Moon spokesmodel for a good number of years. She did print work uh, in Full Moon. Uh, 
apparel for the for Moonflash. Uh, Moonflash, the quarterly newsletter that Full Moon printed. She would appear in the video zones as mm-hmm. the uh, fan club spokeswoman. Uh, she would probably continue with Full Moon for two or three more years. You know, uh, she at this point she'd only done Meridian for Charlie. She would do this, and then she'd go on to be in uh, Bad Channels. Yeah, that's I, one of my favorites is Bad Channels. I, I love feel like that. I have one more that's escaping me, well, but I can't. I can't remember offhand. I'm looking. There's um, well, there's a, she did a couple other movies that were in and around the same time that she did Sleep at the Vampire, Ski School, Mirror Mirror. Which and, let me tell you. They're they're not full moon movies, but Mirror Mirror is an incredible movie. And I love Mirror Mirror. Was the other one you said not ski? Oh, oh there was Ski School to Sleep with the Vampire. What's To Sleep with the Vampire, incredible movie. <laughs> like that's to me my, my favorite Charlie Spradling and favorite Scott Valentine movie. It, I love it, I love them it, both in that. I, I, I've been making a lot of hot takes here lately. Like that's that's one of probably Roger Corman's best produced films. Is oh, agreed. Is that? Yeah, yeah it's I'm got like, a great story to it. Yeah, she literally only ever did three movies, which is kind of weird to think in retrospect. She did Meridian, Puppet Master Two, and Bad Channels. That's it. <laughs> which it feels like it feels like she was in a lot more, but she yeah. wasn't. She was. I think we. I think well, she was in a lot more movies, just not not a lot more full moon stuff. But I think she was involved in the company a lot, though, too. So I think that's what helps paint more of a false picture of her being involved in more of the films. So she would appear in you know a a good handful of uh, collector's item you know bumpers for the video zones, which which is good to note that I think uh, I could be wrong, but I want to say this was the first full moon movie that actually featured a bona fide video zone. Some of them had had behind the scenes making of featurettes and stuff. This was the first one I believe that actually had a full on video zone. Huh? What so, was the, what was the very first video zone? I, th- I think it was this. Puppet Master. this was, was it literally this one? Okay. I believe it was yeah. yeah each each one of the movies before that though did have little like making of bits you know there was always tip usually always something but i think this one was the first one where they actually branded it being you know right video. that's the, that's what i meant where they actually like, branded it yeah. as a video quote-unquote video zone video zone behind the look behind the scenes video magazine you know so and that's uh... That that was the 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 era of the full moon that like I, I'm not one of those that say oh the old days were better but like I miss the aspect of the video zone more than anything because it was just always like you know it's in a way it was just like oh there's Uncle Charlie you know what does he got going on this month yeah that was always my my favorite part of it and you know sometimes if I sometimes I would even go and. Uh, not always watch the video zone in whole first, but I'd fast forward the tape to get to the end so I could watch the the Charlie intro because he'd usually mention cool upcoming projects and they'd yep. show they'd show concept art for upcoming projects and stuff. So, which was always very fascinating to see. Yep. 
nobody so, else nobody else had ever did that you know and nobody's really ever done it since i, I like i just miss those days i guess you know pining away for what isn't anymore you know is, is you know that's i i just miss it that's all i can say he basically, he basically was the the first person to uh broach the concept of what would later become like dvd special features mm-hmm. yep so, yeah can, considering that Fan, you know, fans of content would actually to look behind the curtain and see how things are done and learn about, you know, b- make it sort of an interactive experience with the public and let you see what's going on and kind of be a part of it, which was always yeah. cool. Yep. It was like always seeing somebody familiar. Like I said, I always thought of it. Oh, there's Uncle Charlie. Yep. Like, what what is he going to show us? What like concept art is he going to show us? What new movie is he going to talk about? What new poster art are we going to see? Yeah. But anyway, anyway, I I digress. But we we have several digressions here. That that's all right. It's our show. We can do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the story. We get uh, Carolyn does a little bit of sneaky sneaky. She's sneaking out to find out what's going on. And this is where I. <laughs> I make a point that Toulon Spirit spends a, a a lot of time in the gazebo by the seaside smoking uh, cigarettes, which is not just detrimental to his health, but detrimental to his disguise. And like, if he was spending as much time, uh, you know, trying to get his uh, serum perfected and get, getting what he needed for the serum, he probably wouldn't, you know, he, to me, it doesn't seem like he had time to leisurely sit sit by the seaside and smoking cigars and shit. It just seemed weird. Where is he getting his stuff to smoke? Is, did he like go down the street to the Seven Eleven and buy it? Like, where did he get cigarettes or cigars or anything? And his mask doesn't even have like a mouth hole. You know what I mean? It's it, just got a dirty spot. It kind of, he kind of looks like a more fancified gothic version of Dark Man. Yeah. Well, what I was thinking too was it. Like, cause yeah, like you said, there's not a hole in the bandages. I feel like he's just taking the cigarette and putting it up into the bandages and he's smoking through the bandages. And that's why there's that dirty spot is it's a nicotine stain. Which is just gross when you think about it. It's repulsive. <laughs> like I, I can ha- handle seeing zombies, seeing slime and which we get a little bit of that even, you know, towards the end. But, uh, <laughs> Like I said, he just spends a lot too much time smoking by the seaside. If he's, you know, if he'd uh, spend as much time worrying about his master plan, he probably would have succeeded instead of failing miserably at the end. But uh, I, I like when Carolyn finds out finds Toulon's laboratory and she's going through everything because we get another shot. I think we see um, the Mister Punch doll again. Yeah, in the background. Now, like when they set fire to Michael's bed and he's running around completely butt ass naked trying to put out that fire and he just throws the sheet on it. He he does a complete shit job of putting that bed fire out because yeah, half out. the fire was still raging. It would have. Yeah, it would have yeah. burnt down the building. The top side of the bed was still on fire, so it still would have literally burnt the whole hotel down still. <laughs> Yeah, I think they did that scene just for the fact that they they had a, another good 
place A for pyrotechnics and B a spot to show some man ass. Which you gonna, know, I was gonna say, is that what you were gonna say that they basically did it so they could show like a man's hairy behind? <laughs> yeah, they probably did. I'm I'm willing to bet they were just like, listen, we've already had some boobs in this movie. We need to have some man ass equal to equal opportunity nudity here. Let's say yeah, you but, do too much man butt in full moon non uh, surrender cinema <laughs> movies. So. No, this would be this would be a chance for some rare behind. Yes. <laughs> but he almost gets his like. <laughs> I have to say, like as a stunt, he was really uh, risking some shit there because, like you know, I'm I'm sure he probably singed some uh, some so, some body hair off, you know. And I, I don't know that I'd be one to be running around in that scene with the flames licking at my licking at my privates, you know. Just saying, just saying. Totally. Now I I I don't know if you find this as ironic as I do. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I can hardly even talk. I'm laughing so hard. Um, when Mike knocks out Torch with a fire extinguisher, the irony is very strong that he used a fire extinguisher to knock out Torch. That's very, I, it's it's very humorous looking because when he <laughs> looks, it, it's very funny looking when he gets hit and falls. It's it's very awkward, but I'm I'm sure they like listen. We did 27 takes of this. We're shooting on 35. We can't. We, we don't get it in the next one. We're just gonna have to cut and print. It, it does very much, I think, show too, like maybe what bit of weight that prop had because when he hits him with it too, it's almost like he's he's stuck in position there too because he just sort of like thumps over. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like he like, like he was very bottom heavy. Yeah. So, but this is the part that is probably my favorite. Uh, Mike, well, Mike uh, tussles with Pinhead a little bit, but then it cuts back and forth with Carolyn is uh, you know tied up in Toulon's uh, laboratory when he takes off the bandages and his mask and you actually see the how zombified he really is underneath all that the makeup is fucking fantastic like it's, it's gross as slimy as slimy he looks like uh, uh, the, the 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 father character in the father's day segment of creep show he looks really really good yeah, he's very gross looking. And what, the one thing that always stood out to is, is he has that one giant like hoop earring in the one ear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he has no discernible eyes. His eye sockets are just pretty much hollow. Is this like they're all like burst? So is this like how the fuck is this motherfucker even seeing it all? And why did he need glasses if, if uh, or those goggles if he had no eyes? I just don't. I, I didn't understand the aesthetic. I like the look. I'm just saying I don't understand it. Yeah, but when uh, while fighting with Blade, Mike comes face to face with his uh, his dead mama in the dumb waiter. With I think Jester is behind her, isn't isn't Jester in the dumb waiter with her? Yeah, I believe so. He yeah, yeah, and he goes and he steals the the goblet with the. He eventually gets out and steals the goblet with the the serum in it. Yeah, but the. The puppet Toulon, the full-size puppet of Toulon and Elsa, are creepy looking. I mean, it's obvious that it's real live actors just sitting there with make, you know, just the 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 the, the puppetry makeup on. But they look freaking creepy. It's it's like very unsettling looking. Yeah, they're like really weird looking body suit type looking things because they look like they have like a weird porcelain layer thing put over their face. Yeah, but really creepy, very effective. I feel like between the pyrotechnics in this and 
Toulon's like zombie makeup is where mo- most of the special effects in this movie must have went. And uh, of course, the stop motion animation. But um, when it's he- definitely where the the special effects in this in this specific installment really shine through more than some of the other installments. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, without a doubt. And with Toulon slitting his own throat after he takes the, you know, the serum, the elixir, and then he leans over with a with that funnel in the puppet Toulon's mouth and just slits his throat over it. It's just like it's so gross, but but I mean gross in a good way. I mean because I like gross, I like weird, but there's like slitting his own throat and letting the blood just drip down in that funnel. It just comes out of fucking nowhere. So it's like, oh okay, this guy uh, is, is is really taking it to the next level. And this is something too that I think it's I I I don't I mean there's 15 movies, 13 slash 15 movies, so I could be wrong, but like at, at off the top of my head, it's the only instance that I can think of where it's not necessarily just giving life to an inanimate object, but he's transferring consciousness from one body to another one. Right, right. Yeah, he's transferring his consciousness from one it's, body into that inanimate. Yeah, it's puppet. it's a bit more than what quote unquote Cairo Merchant taught him. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, little bit, but you know, I'm willing but to accept it. Yeah, that's okay though. So, yeah, nothing wrong with that. But I love what he 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 starts to come to is like. Toulon is now laying there dead. Now puppet Toulon is like, you know, up and on his feet. And he just like, he's, and he starts to like moo or, or cluck like a chicken. And he's like, you filthy swine. You brought me animal brains. Yeah. <laughs> Stress is the word. You brought me animal brains. <laughs> yeah, it was great. But, uh, well, funny there's the moment too at one point just earlier on when he's he says like oh yeah i think something to the effect of like thankfully they're they're getting human brains and not just like the cattle brains anymore and it kind of does a pan across of like you know i think blade torch and then jester's over on the side and jester's got that like gaping mouth like look on his face and he kind of puts his hand up to his face like like oops <laughs> But this is where we get the part where Toulon does something that you should never do. He betrays his puppets. He told them he's just going to let them rot and wither away into dry wood, which is uh, pretty fucking rude of him, actually, when you think about it after he, uh, you know, used them to do his bidding. He he probably should have treated them with this a little bit more respect. Just saying. Otherwise, you know. And to put it in perspective, too, they used the last bit of their own serum, and instead of you know using it to keep them alive longer, they used what little they had left to bring him to life instead. So there's zero appreciation. So it just pictures yeah. like how evil this Toulon is because he gives no shits about his his puppets. So which, which is like with everything else that we've learned about Andre Toulon throughout especially from the first movie and some subsequent sequels like he loves the puppets he adores them he considers them like his children so this like this is kind of the one oddball movie of the bunch but it's a it's a textbook example of you know like the puppets can be good or they can be evil it depends on who the master is you know and that kind of suits whatever the point of each individual film is you know sometimes 
Sometimes they're bad. It depends on who's in charge. But this right. is a quick example of when a master pisses them off <laughs> and betrays <laughs> them, they're done for. Because that's exactly what Gallagher did in the last movie. Is, is mm-hmm. he basically jacked Jester up and basically made a comment saying that you know he you know was through experimenting with silly little wooden puppets and they're like oh fuck no like you just threw the battle line so yeah yeah you drew a line in the sand now you're gonna have to pay the price they took him out and that's kind of the same situation here Tuan basically tells him like you're just gonna dry up into driftwood so uh tough shit i'm gonna use the last bit of your shit to bring my wife back so and you guys are on your own. You're going to wither away into driftwood. And Blade says, "The fuck we are." Yep. He hooks, yeah, he hooks his leg, fucks him up. Pinhead smashes his hands to bits, and finally, what does our our boy Torch do? He does what he does best and sets him ablaze. And we get our second and like probably the most impressive full body burn of the movie. I mean, both body burns are really, really good. But like, kudos to the, you know. The, the stunt people who did this. I don't know if it was the same stunt person or that was separate, but they did great job. There's a, there's an interesting continuity flub to there too. Cause when torch comes in, he's still drenched in the, the, the fire extinguisher. Content. Oh yeah. 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 But then in the close up shot, when he's like, you're fucked and he points to shoot, he's completely clean. Yeah. in the close up. And then in the wide shot again, he's dirty again. (laughs) (laughs) I can forgive it. I've had bigger continuity issues in my movies, so I I can. You know, one movie says Toulon died in 39, then another one says he died in 41. You know, it's tomato, tomato. (laughs) It depends on, on, you know, who's writing the the, the history book at the the time of of that, who you got to believe, right? But anyway, I think it's just strange that there's not a fucking authority in sight. They they go to the cemetery. I think they buried, you know, Patrick and uh, uh, Carolyn's brother and Michael's mom, Camille, out there in the cemetery because they're setting flowers down. I'm like, but they're, they have a, there's not an authority in sight. No police, no paramedics, no nothing. Not a fireman showing up to put up the fire. But they get a little, you know, graveside chat, and then you think everything's going to be all right for them. And then what do we see? The Camille Elsa puppet on that bumper ending when they're traveling with the boys in that VW, that red VW minivan. And they, this is the part that uh, that was unresolved that I was talking about at the beginning of the movie when they're going to the children's school. And we have children to enchant, and now Camille is now in the Elsa puppet body traveling with the puppets. Mentally disturbed tots and teens. <laughs> yeah, because she said she says something to the effect like, you know, besides we can, you know, enchant the children, and if they, you know, they could get onto us, who's going to believe a bunch of, you know, troubled children anyway? And this is like That's another great moment where she's like, we have children to enchant, <laughs> and, and, and it's so creepy with that that porcelain like face is in the and those dead but, like and eyes. she's. She's dressed really strangely, like like she's an alien in a in a in a body that she doesn't understand how to operate. And she's like, <laughs> I should try and dress up like some hip young person, but she's dressed up like like a mix and match kind of like clown looking outfit. I don't know. Like it's her her wardrobe is very 
off the wall feeling and not normal. Not it's not even period specific. It doesn't feel very 1990 like you know Wanda's grand no. like glances. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, it, it just it feels like she left a sideshow. Yes, yes, it did. And then at the back of the truck too, because I, I feel like a good amount of time has passed at that point. Because even when they pull away, that truck is that that vehicle was decorated because on the back it says Miss Camille's happily ever after puppet shows. Yeah, so it feels like they they've been doing this for a while. Yeah, so I this is when I have to say that this was never resolved on film, but the Action Lab comics do address this situation, and they do actually. Uh, there is a, there is a moment where they show what happened. Oh, see, I gotta, God, I gotta read those because I always said it was a beautiful ending, and is this too bad? Lisa, in the sense of the films, they never picked up on that, but at least they did in the comics. It's not as good as you know seeing it in a movie, but you know the the Action Lab comics. A lot of the comics will usually paint in blank spots that the movies don't. You know, and you can kind of take them as canon or not, because another one is that um, there's moments where they they tell you that the human because the the way of bringing to life puppets and, you know, the idea of a human spirit animating them uh, kind of fluctuates from movie to movie, depending on what's required. But there are comics that dictate that Torch was actually um uh, Toulon's son. Oh, Eric. See, I had no, no idea about that. Eric Toulon, who I believe had ended up, uh, he kind of went rogue and he joined the Hitler youth. And when Toulon went on the run, he came after him. And I believe Toulon might have killed him in the comics. I don't remember. But then he was brought back to life as Torch. Eric Toulon, he comes back from the dead. He Shani, I don't know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you want to get super technical? I mean, okay, in this one, technically, Carolyn is the reincarnation of Elsa. But in part three, we see that Elsa is resurrected as Leech Woman. Notice how angry Torch gets when Leech Woman is murdered in part two. Yeah, I, I do remember that. Like, looking at the specifics, it's like his mother just got killed in front of him. So he's oh, angry. Yeah, I guess it would be, right? And he immediately lights up Martha with, like, huh. no. Except, I don't know. I'm grasping. Yeah, you know, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all canon, as we say, right? It's interesting conversation pieces, whether it makes sense or is true or not. So, But that's the beauty of this franchise, I think, more so than most other horror franchises is. is you can really kind of like draw your own conclusions and kind of, you know, take what you want from a lot of it. So, yeah, that's what I like about it, especially when there's more media to draw upon than just the movies, you know, when you got the comics as well. It's totally. nice. But, uh, but the, yeah, that would essentially be the end of our movie, you know, with the, the ending with Camille and her traveling band of buddies. I wish we could have got the spinoff movie. Uh, puppet Camille doing her dirty work but you know I guess if uh, we only had it in comic form it's, it's something it's, it's, it's still something True. but that being said I guess we should sum this one up um, you know how we do things around here get a final summary and a rating uh, 1 to 10 if you would 
yeah, you know, Puppet Master 2, man. You know, <laughs> Full Moon debuted with part one and it was a big hit. So sequels were, at, they were like uh, obvious, like the, the smartest thing to do. So one of the first things that Paramount wanted was uh, Puppet Master 2. And this, this was like the cash cow, man. And part two is great i know you you and i discussed pre-show how you know you thought that this was maybe not one i wanted to touch on and i know i love this movie i think it's it is one of the best puppet master movies in in the 13 slash 15 existing films and uh i've just seen it so much and as much as i love puppet master it's a franchise that doesn't really hold as much weight to me on an emotional level as some other things do but i love me some puppet master and part two is is a great film i mean it might have been a hard movie to make for the people that were there but it's it's good it you know and not everything maybe connects some of the storytelling might be a bit you know wash rinse repeat yeah a little bit but i can forgive her for that but that's okay and you know the characters might not be as fully painted as what they were in part one but you know that's okay we've got some full moon alumni the like i said the stop motion animation is the best it has or ever would look i think in this movie and that shot of blade jumping off the bed is like the most iconic moment in the entire franchise as far as i'm concerned um and i love evil toulon i i love kindly old man toulon but I love Evil Toulon too as Eric Shani. It's he's a great visual to have. You know? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, no more games and trick or treat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a great line, right? Yeah, he's just such a weird, creepy, sleazy, dirty feeling guy that you know is just a liar and not trustworthy right from the get go. And uh, but. He's a great villain. He's one of the best. Uh, this movie introduced my favorite puppet, so I can't fault it for that either because I love me some Torch. And it's fun. It's it's a thoroughly fun view. It is weird in retrospect to stop and think that of the eight deaths in this movie because I am counting Tuan's second death. Um, three of them are off camera. and But you know what? It also paints the picture that Torch is a boss because of those eight, three of them are his. So, (laughs) as as many puppets as there are in this movie, he's got almost half the body count on his side. That immediately, in my mind, matches him with with Blade. So, um, I'd agree with you. I'd agree. Of course, it all goes out the window once you hit part three. But um, and especially <laughs> when you end up doing like spinoff movies like Blade and Doctor Death, because now Doctor Death has one of the biggest probably body counts of the entire franchise. And <laughs> been in two fucking movies, but um, you know he's he's a great character. It's a fun movie. It's a it's all around a very fun movie. And I know that with part one, I kind of did uh, a weird. Something weird for me. I don't do the half point thing, but this is a very large franchise. And if we keep doing this for years to come, <laughs> and I can't. we will, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I have to differentiate these some. So I know that I gave part one a 7.5. Mm-hmm. I give Puppet Master to an 8.5. Well, you're coming in like almost neck and neck with me. I'm giving it an eight. I can't remember what I gave the the. First one, I want to say it was probably 
a 7.5 or a 7. I can't uh, Yeah, I, know. I gave part one a 7.5. I think I was, I, I think I was a half a, half a point underneath you. But yeah, I, I give it, I'd give it an eight. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd have to say it, it's a solid sequel. It's one of the oddest sequels just for anything for the portrayal of Toulon alone, you know, and, but again, like you said, it's got the introduction to one of the best puppets. I'm still a basic bitch. I love me some Blade. I just love the look at him. He's just a, I'm, I'm sitting here looking off to the right and looking at my four puppets. I got Leech Woman, you know, Torch, Blade, and Jester. And, you know, Blade stands above all of them. <laughs> That's just me. 75% of them are cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, Jester, we're looking at you. You know, but, you know, in the Action Lab comics, when they finished the their run, um, Jester got killed. Eh, not too sad. Not too sad. No, me J- Jester right. was just kind of weird. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I guess I just didn't like the aesthetic. I like the effect of the head spinning and doing this crazy shit. But he was just kind of ineffectual as a as a puppet. He was just a mo- like a moody teenager. Which is funny because late in later installments too, as budgets dwindled, you know, and they got to the point where, yeah, we can't afford pyrotechnics, so we're not going to use torch. They got to the point where they couldn't really afford to do the head spinning effect for him either. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, I, I, I give this one an eight. It, it's, it's superbly directed. I know it said that, um, you know, David Allen had, you know, some trouble on set of going long and, and you know, not being, you know, very prepared and taking too long for scenes. But I think it's directed very well. The cinematography is great. The stop motion is, like I said, I don't think it's ever been better with this franchise. And it looks like the most theatrical of yeah. all, all of them, even more so than the first one. It's a very pretty film to look at, very competently done. And, uh, you know, really the biggest thing that I can say is a negative to it is like having three off-screen deaths. Like I can, uh, I can understand have one, maybe even two, but three is just kind of a bit yeah. much. So otherwise, I'd probably give it an eight point five or a nine. Yeah. But that being said, I think we can probably stick a pin in this one for the evening. It's creeping up on midnight here. It's in the wee hours of the midnight hour, so we'll uh, stick a pin in this one for the afternoon or <laughs> afternoon. What am I talking about? Late evening. <laughs> But I want to thank you for taking a couple hours out of your uh, schedule to do another one of these late night shows with me, man. It's always fun. Absolutely. It's always a blast. The only way you can get it done? No more games and trick or treat. <laughs> That's right. We ain't playing no games here, man. We ain't trick or treating, <laughs> motherfuckers. Oh shit! All right, we'll quit playing around here and we'll get going, folks at home. Uh, I want to thank you as always for listening. If you want to help us out, there's an easy way you can do it. A couple easy ways, and they're all free. You can rate, you can rate our shows, review our shows, subscribe, tell a friend, share the links. You know, tell people about the show. It all costs you is a little bit of your time. Doesn't cost you a penny. So if you can do that, Cinema uh, Degeneration is available on virtually all Podbean or uh, all uh, podcasting platforms. You know, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, iTunes, Pandora, many, many others. You name it, we're on there. So look us up under Cinema, De- Cinema Degeneration, and you'll find us. 
But uh, I want to thank you folks at home for listening to me and Dustin uh, wax on and wax off about uh, <laughs> about Puppet Master 2. And so uh, you can bid, we can bid you a fond farewell from howling at the full moon land and we'll keep coming back for more. Thanks, folks. You may think you've got the powers of hell on your side. But you don't know who you're dealing with!